Welcome to NTD News and good morning. Good morning. Here are our top stories. No hostage release until at least Friday. That's news out of Israel this morning. We tell you what's going on in negotiations. A dramatic scene at the U.S.-Canada border as a speeding car goes airborne and explodes into flames. We have the latest. A former Obama administration official lands himself in hot water after videos surface of him mocking a food cart employee. A top backer of Florida Governor Ron DeSantis distances himself from the presidential hopefuls 2024 campaign. Find out why the head of Super PAC never backed down resigned. Actor Jamie Foxx named in a lawsuit filed earlier this week. Find out what the Oscar winner is accused of. Elon Musk has been the center of controversy recently, with major corporations dropping their ads from his platform. But the U.S. government can't afford to do the same. Thanksgiving is fun, fast, festive and full of family. And while that's true, what's the reason for the season? We explore this with some New Yorkers. Let's all be thankful. This is NTD Good Morning. Live from our global headquarters, here are Evelyn Lee and Kevin Hogan. Welcome to NTD and Happy Thanksgiving. It's Thanksgiving Day. Happy Thanksgiving. So we all know today is Thursday, November 23rd. And we would like to start off with our morning's top stories. We're starting off with the war in Gaza. The release of Hamas hostages and temporary ceasefire will not happen before Friday. That's according to Israel's National Security Advisor and the U.S. Negotiators are working out details of the deal that would see at least 50 hostages and 150 Palestinian prisoners released over a four-day pause. The temporary truce could be extended by one additional day for every 10 hostages freed after that. Israel published a list yesterday of 300 jailed Palestinians it would exchange. 13 women, the rest 18 and under males. That allowed 24 hours for any objections to be filed with Israel's Supreme Court. The names of the 50 hostages set to be released by Hamas are not yet known. Following a successful exchange, the focus will then turn to getting elderly men, Israeli soldiers and the remains of those killed out of Gaza. There's been no let up in the fighting yet and no word on when negotiations for the next group of hostages could begin. The White House says there are 10 Americans unaccounted for they believe are still being held. And we hear more about how the hostage release will take place from Lieutenant Colonel Peter Lerner, who was a spokesperson for the IDF. He joins us live to discuss this. Colonel Lerner, thank you so much for your time this morning. How will this hostage release work? Please walk us through the step-by-step -step process. Good morning, Kevin. Yes, indeed, the IDF is taking the necessary steps in order to be prepared uh, for a hostage release. Um, of course, I can't go into specifics of this because of operational security needs, but it needs to be, I would say, safe. They, they need to be evacuated to safety and then transferred to Israel. Uh, to the hands of Israeli authorities and the medical staff that are on call. Um, the, the, the developments of the last 24 hours, and as you rightly pointed out, we expect it to not to happen to before tomorrow morning here in Israel. Um, so we are currently, the IDF is currently continuing its offensive against Hamas, against the terrorists wherever they're hiding. 
Yes, hopefully this all goes smoothly for the sake of the families who have members in Hamas captivity. Are there any contingencies that the IDF needs to be prepared for in the event something unplanned happens? Of course, we have a bad experience with Hamas and ceasefires. They genuinely or generally don't cease to fire. Uh, in the past, in 2014, when we had a war with Hamas, it was during the ceasefires that they coordinated attacks against our forces. So the eventuality of such a, a reality on the ground, if an operational pause does come into force uh, tomorrow, we will have to be very, very strong on our defensive capabilities, but also uh, with the ability to intercept any attacks that could attack, could uh, be originated against our forces. This is the reality that we're facing on the ground. Of course, uh, we have the primary or a primary mission of bringing the hostages home safely. And that is why we are willing to indeed hold our fire at the instruction of the government. So what would happen if Hamas does breach the terms of the truce in terms of getting these hostages back? So I don't want to save a rattle. I think it doesn't do any good at this, at this stage of where we are. Of course, the terms of a uh, holding on fire by both sides need to be upheld by both sides. We know how to do it. Hamas need to also abide by it. They have their own interest in the halt, in the, in the hostilities. Uh, that interest would be the release of uh, 150 or so terrorists and criminals that are being held in Israeli prisons. Uh, and so their interest is, is as clear as ours. Uh, we need to be prepared for the eventuality that they won't abide by it. They might aggravate it, or there might be a situation on the ground from their perspective that they don't even have control over everybody. And therefore, somebody might go rogue and, and try and attack IDF on the ground and thus jeopardizing the entire process of release and rescue of the hostages that right. are being held. Mind you, the hostages are supposed to be women and children. Um, that, that, that is what we've understood. Uh, this need, remains to be clarified, but imagine that, the women and children that need to come home. We need to bring them home soon. Yes, a very sensitive operation, and, and it is right. We do know that there are different factions like jihadist groups that are within this umbrella of terrorists in the region. So are there any potential risks to the hostages that need to be taken into account? So I, uh, the, the reality is one that it is, it is de developing. Of course, we don't know who we haven't. They've not released a list, a list. Uh, so it's hard to and, and the, the state of their well-being is also unclear. So I think the risk is uh, primarily to their well-being, to their livelihood, to how they've been kept over the last almost 50 days now. Uh, there is, of course, an extreme concern. So we, we and the government will be arranging all of the different services of the government for the people that come home. And hopefully they will be returned in as good as condition as possible. The Hamas-run Gaza Ministry of Health says the IDF arrested the director of Al-Shifa Hospital. Can you confirm this? So I, we've received this report overnight here in Israel uh, or in the early hours of this morning. I, start, I still can't confirm it operationally, but after revealing the extent of the terror tunnel network beneath the hospital, just imagine that, a terrorist organization that borrows and uh, establishes all of its infrastructure beneath the sanctity of a hospital. Um, and he has repeatedly denied that that existed. I think it makes sense that he should be questioned, at least ask some questions, answer some questions that need to be asked regarding the magnitude. How could he not know? He's the general manager of the hospital. This is a network that takes place in, around, and beneath 
his hospital. So there needs to be some questions to be answered. Um, as soon as we can clarify and confirm that his, his arrest, of course, we will do so. But I, I'm just talking now, sense requires that he answers some very tough questions. Yes, and we do know that it is a war crime to use civilian infrastructure like hospitals for military operations, and we have seen their weapons inside Al-Shifa. Lieutenant Colonel Peter Lerner, IDF spokesperson, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Happy Thanksgiving. Israel's military gave a foreign press tour of Hamas tunnels uncovered under Gaza's Shifa hospital yesterday. Israel says the network was used to hold hostages and as a command center to wage war. And today's Jeremy Sandberg tells us more. Dozens of soldiers escorted journalists Wednesday through a series of underground bunkers and tunnels beneath the largest hospital in Gaza City. We are sure that there are way to the city from here, we find another route that goes north from the hospital, so they can, after they attack or do something, they can go to the tunnel in the city, inside even uh, uh, kindergarten that we find. They can go down below uh, to the tunnel and come exactly here. The living quarters under Al-Shifa are complete with cots, a bathroom, kitchen, and an air-conditioned meeting room. The tunnel was accessed through an outdoor shaft in the hospital complex grounds, once crowded with tens of thousands of civilians. Israeli Chief Military Spokesman Daniel Hagari says Hamas systematically uses hospitals in Gaza to run its terror machine, and that its battalion commanders were conducting command and control and firing rockets here. But this room is an operational room that had communication with electricity provided from the sources of the hospital, meaning the hospital is providing electricity this room was evacuated. Hagari says the electrical wiring branching off from the hospitals and an air conditioner helped in the discovery. We found the engine of the air conditioner, of course, outside, next to the Qatari uh, compound. Israeli soldiers showed journalists on the tour weaponry, including dozens of AK-47s, grenades, and several drones. A small sample, Hagari says, of many caches soldiers found in their search of the hospital compound. IDF spokesperson Jonathan Kenrika says the mounting evidence proves what Israel has been saying all along, that Hamas uses all hospitals in Gaza for military purposes in violation of humanitarian law, actively endangering civilians. We have been speaking the truth, and uh, we have showed it with visuals from the Qatari hospital, from the Rantisi hospital, and now more so from the Shifa hospital. They've used it in order to hold our hostages there, and uh, they have been using it to run military operations. Conrica says he's waiting for organizations to come clean now that evidence and footage have been shared. I'm waiting for the World Health Organization, uh, for the uh, Palestinian Red Crescent, for UNRWA, and for many other organizations that were fast to criticize us for our military operations. I'm waiting for them to say, yes, IDF, you were right, we were wrong, Hamas has been using hospitals in violation of humanitarian law, and they should be condemned for it. The IDF says now that it's put irrefutable truth on full display to the world, it has a question for the international community. What will you do to stop Gazan's hospitals from being turned into terror bases in the future? Will you condemn Hamas, or will you continue to be silent. The IDF reiterated Israel is at war with Hamas, not the people of Gaza. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. 
The Pentagon says a U.S. warship intercepted multiple, multiple attack drones in the Red Sea this morning. The one-way drones were launched from Houthi-controlled areas in Yemen, according to U.S. Central Command. A speeding car crashed into flames yesterday at a U.S.-Canada border bridge, sparking fears of terrorism. And today's Daniel Monahan has more on the fatal wreck that killed two. Authorities say there's no evidence that the deadly wreck on Wednesday at a Niagara Falls border crossing was an act of terror. The fiery crash prompted the closing of area border crossings. Details surrounding the wreck on Rainbow Bridge still remain murky, leaving it to be determined whether it was intentional or accidental. Here's New York Governor Kathy Hochul. There is no sign of terrorist activity with respect to this crash. Hochul explained the challenges investigators face. This vehicle basically incinerated. Nothing is left but the engine. The pieces are scattered over 13, 14 booths. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau reacted to news of the crash. There are a lot of questions and we are following up to try and get as many answers as rapidly as possible. Security footage shows the car traveling from the U.S. side at a high speed, hitting an object and then flying over an eight-foot fence before crashing to the ground in flames. Videos uploaded to social media show the aftermath of fire and thick smoke. This witness heard an explosion and became fearful as smoke billowed towards his car. I was terrified right away, and um, I was hoping that we we're all going to be safe and then out of that place. And at the same time, I was curious to know what was going on. CNN reported the driver was a 56-year-old man traveling in a Bentley with his wife, heading to a KISS concert in Toronto. The crash came at a time of heightened security concerns, stemming from the conflict in the Middle East and at the peak of U.S. holiday travel on the eve of Thanksgiving, causing disruptions. The airport in Buffalo shut down international flights only later to return to normal operations. And Amtrak canceled train service between New York and Canada. Hochul said Rainbow Bridge will remain closed as authorities conduct their investigation and that other Niagara crossings will remain open but on, quote, heightened alert status. About 6,000 vehicles cross the Rainbow Bridge each day. About 5% of that is truck traffic. Daniel Monahan. NTD News. A top DeSantis backer distances himself from the governor's 2024 presidential campaign. We'll tell you why the head of Super PAC never backed down. Step down. Will Biden's delivery of infrastructure and other perceived successes give him enough support from voters to beat Trump in a rematch? A political strategist gives us some insight into this. Viral videos land a former Obama administration official in the hot seat and facing hate charges for mocking a food cart employee. Jamie Foxx has been accused of sexual assault. We have details of the lawsuit that the famous entertainer finds himself in in just a minute. Welcome back. The head of Florida, Governor Ron DeSantis' super PAC never backed down has stepped down. The top DeSantis backer says disagreements went beyond a difference of strategic opinion. 
In his resignation statement, Yankowski said he supports DeSantis and prays he is the 47th president for the country's future. Recent polls have DeSantis neck and neck for second place with GOP opponents like Nikki Haley and Vivek Ramaswamy. Still, the Republican contenders trail far behind former President Trump by double digits in most polls. And another win for former President Trump in a major poll. Trump's presidential campaign has been a success so far. Congress, meanwhile, is a bit less successful. Dozens of lawmakers are resigning, some out of frustration. And today's Arian Pastar brings you an election update. Former President Trump is widening his lead over President Biden in a hypothetical 2024 matchup. That's according to the prominent Emerson College poll. In November last year, the poll found that Biden was leading over Trump with 45 to 41 percent. A month ago, Trump was leading with 47 to 45 percent. Now, Trump's lead increased by two points to 47 to 43 percent. Biden took a big hit in support among minorities, losing a total of 26 percentage points over the last year. Meanwhile at Congress, California Representative Anna Eshoo this week announced that she's stepping down after three decades. So far, over 30 lawmakers this year announced that they're not seeking re-election. This comes after two exhausting House Speaker races, two near-government shutdowns, and multiple attempts to impeach, censor, or expel officials. And all that while Congress is still in its first session. Various lawmakers are disappointed with the way things are going on the Hill. Representative Earl Blumenauer, who has been in Congress for over 25 years, told Punchbowl News, it's insane and it adds no value to my life. The things I care about, I can do better, not here. Now over to local elections. In South Carolina, the city of Charleston voted for a Republican mayor for the first time since 1877. That's almost 150 years. Former South Carolina GOP representative William Coxwell won the race on Tuesday. And in New York, former Governor Andrew Cuomo is reportedly considering running for mayor of New York City. That's according to Politico, which says that Cuomo might run if current Mayor Eric Adams resigns or decides not to run for re-election. Ariane Pastar, NTD News. Where do Trump and Biden stand right now in a potential rematch? I asked this to former Trump advisory board member and Republican strategist Jason Meister earlier. This is what he told me. Uh, Joe Biden is in free fall and there is no political base. So there is no bottom to his polling. Whereas Donald Trump is polling better than he did in 2016 and 2020. He's gained 15 points amongst black voters and 21 points amongst independent voters since 2020. The primary is over. These failed presidential campaigns could be and should be funding the election integrity defense that we need as opposed to their failed vanity project. We should be getting Cornell West on the ballot in all 50 states. We should be registering voters in churches, synagogues, football games, and UFC fights. And we should be paying our veterans to monitor drop boxes 24-7. That is the path to victory in 2024. Now, some reports are saying that the support amongst black voters for Biden is waning, and this could be pivotal. What do you make of this? Yeah, look, I think that there's no greater contrast between Donald Trump and Joe Biden's presidencies. Black Americans under Donald Trump saw the highest employment rate in history, whereas in Joe Biden's economy, in his Bidenomics, they are suffering uh, across the board. And so I think that from an economic standpoint 
And also from a security and safety standpoint, look at all the major Democrat-run cities under Joe Biden. You have the flooding of illegal immigrants into those cities. You have crime waves that we haven't seen in 50 years. So I think that black Americans realize that things were better under John Trump than under Joe Biden. And Jason, do you think Biden's achievements in providing infrastructure and what the Financial Times calls an economic boom are going to be able to outweigh the detriments that Americans are seeing right now with inflation? I don't. Look, I think Joe Biden ran under Build Back Better. And if you look at this country, there has nothing, there has been nothing that has been built back better. In fact, I would consider Build Back Better really was the controlled demolition of our country. And the idea behind Joe Biden's Build Back Better program was that he could build back better in his green utopian nightmare. And I think the American people are starting to realize and wake up to the fact that there has nothing that has nothing has been built back better in this country and everything has been worse under Joe Biden. Let's talk about some of the other GOP candidates. Haley has sparked a lot of support now, 18 percent, up from 4 percent in the early voting states like New Hampshire. Do you think that's localized or that could be a national trend? I think it's localized. Look, Nikki Haley is a neocon. She's the female version of a Mitt Romney, one of the most dangerous types of politicians in this country. She's an opportunist. And I think that this is a localized phenomenon. I think that She's surging a little bit right now because we have a war in the Middle East and we have a war in Ukraine. Uh, but I think that what people realize is that through Donald Trump's leadership and his peace through strength presidency, we didn't have these types of conflicts around the world because our enemies feared us and our allies supported us. Whereas under Joe Biden's weakness, our enemies are attacking wherever they can. And I think that we will potentially see before even his presidency, his first term is up, China in Taiwan. So we're going to have potentially three conflicts going on around the world under Joe Biden's failed leadership. Well, thank you so much for your analysis, Jason Meister, Republican strategist and former Trump advisory board member. Thanks for having me. Hate crime charges for a former Obama administration official. Police arrested an ex-National Security Council employee yesterday after viral videos of him were shared online. In the videos, he uses what police describe as hate-filled Islamophobic language against a New York City food cart employee. Stuart Seldowitz faces stalking, harassment, and hate crime charges in the recently posted videos. Seldowitz mocks Islam, appears to taunt the man about his citizenship status, and accuses him of supporting Hamas. He also makes derogatory comments about Muhammad. In another video, Seldowitz asks the man whether he's familiar with Egypt's General Intelligence Service, threatening that they would get his parents. Seldowitz expressed regret and apologized. He also defended himself, saying the vendor started the conflict by expressing his support for Hamas. Well, it's unfortunate. First of all, it's unclear what charges he will ultimately face when it goes to the Manhattan DA, but also, you know, um, I think one of the things he said that didn't make it here is that something like, um, even if we killed 4,000 Palestinian children, it would not be enough. So unfortunately that he lost his call like that and said these things that really are, there is no excuse for. Yeah, that, that type of speech is definitely reprehensible. And we have to realize that innocents in Gaza are just as much victims mm. of the Hamas terrorists as well, given that they have no choice in a lot of these cases based Precisely. on Hamas operations. Right.
So we're going to head to break now, and here are some of the latest headlines before we go. Actor Jamie Foxx is facing sexual assault and battery charges. The alleged incident occurred in 2015 at a popular New York City restaurant, according to the complaint obtained by CNN. The plaintiff, identified as Jane Doe, alleges Fox, quote, intentionally and without consent used force to offensively touch the plaintiff's person. As a result, the suit says the woman continues to suffer physical and emotional injuries and economic harm. She's seeking an unspecified amount. Fox has not replied to media requests for comment. Officials urged a small Kentucky town to evacuate after a train derailed spilling chemicals. CSX, which operates the train, told ABC News that the two cars carrying molten sulfur were leaking and their contents burning. The company said when molten sulfur burns, it releases sulfur dioxide, which is known to cause respiratory problems. Governor Bashir called a state of emergency in Rockcastle County to ensure every state resource is available to help keep families safe. And coming up, China making quieter submarines and developing sensors to detect ultra-quiet American subs. A research fellow tells us what this means for U.S. sub-dominance, Taiwan, and the Indo-Pacific. The Chinese regime attempts to censor information about a respiratory disease gripping the nation in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. Thank you for staying with us. The U.S. is facing stiff competition from China in submarine technology. China is advancing a new nuclear-powered attack submarine. The engines are powered by a pump jet propulsion system rather than a propeller, making it less noisy and harder to detect. It marks the first time the technology, already in use by the U.S., has been seen on a Chinese submarine. Beijing has also been developing its undersea detection capabilities. Several underwater sensor networks are under construction in the South China Sea region and several other areas. Now we critically examine this issue with Brent Sadler, a senior research fellow for Naval Warfare and Advanced Technology in the Center for National Defense at the Heritage Foundation. Brent, thank you for making the time to meet with us this morning. So why should Americans be concerned about China's rise in the submarine field? Uh, good morning and uh, happy Thanksgiving as well. Um, the Chinese submarine program is following in the last few years what looks to be a very familiar one for those that remember back in the late 70s and the early 80s, a Soviet nuclear submarine force that was very large, uh, very threatening, but easy to track. And sound is the key here. Uh, unfortunately, because of uh, the stealing of very sensitive technologies and the transfer of equipment to the Soviet Union in 19, the late 70s, those submarines that were easy to track became very hard to track almost overnight. And it meant that the U.S. needed more assets, more aircraft, more submarines to keep tabs on the Soviets. We could see the same thing again with the Chinese fleet. So what advantage does China have now that they have these quieter submarines? Well, it means that in, in my estimation, having been a submariner for 27 years, that the most likely place that they're going to use this technology to its fullest advantage is to take their nuclear attack submarines and push them further out into the Pacific to hold not just our submarines and our aircraft carriers at risk, but more importantly, our logistic ships. Because the other advantage of a nuclear submarine is, is its endurance. It's not limited by fuel. It's only limited by the food on board for the sailors. Right. And so what does this mean for Taiwan security? 
Well, first and foremost, it means it means that the United States' ability to to ride in as the you know the cavalry to come in when needed might be delayed a little longer. And it also means that while we're, the U.S. forces are nearby, they're going to be under constant threat, and they might have more possibilities of more losses than anticipated in the past. Is it a realistic possibility that this will enable China to dominate the Indo-Pacific? And if that is the case, how can the U.S. counter it? Well, if the U.S. remains on its current trajectory of just every decision seems to be for a smaller and smaller navy, then absolutely the Pacific will become the Chinese lake by 2049. Uh, but there's no indication that the U.S. Congress is willing to accept that. And, and I think there are folks in the Pentagon that also see the dangers, as well as the State Department, the dangers of continuing on this trajectory. Well, we know how much of a risk this is, considering that Chinese regime leader Xi Jinping has said prepare for stormy seas in the worst case scenario here as well. Now, there are satellite images that show a plant in northeast China that has developed a new hall for building these subs back in 2021 to boost output. So is this a major concern as well? No, absolutely. So across the board. So in Zhengzhuan, uh, in the north, in Hulada, you're seeing the expansion of shipbuilding capacity. That's been a problem for the Chinese nuclear submarine enterprise. They don't have the capacity to build much more than they are uh, one or two hulls a, a year, but it looks like they're building up to expand that. That's problematic if they get new technologies that make them quieter, uh, and also to act this decade. But another thing that's in the Wall Street Journal article that I wanted to point out is the expansion that's going on in Hainan Island to be able to base many more submarines to include nuclear ones much closer to the fight in, in the Southeast Asia theater. So Brent, we have about 30 seconds. How can the U.S. stay one step ahead when these quieter subs are now being deployed? You got to keep changing the dynamics of the game. Uh, the use of unmanned submersibles is one way to do that. The other is to actually have new technologies of processing the data and sharing it quickly, like AI to pick out that needle in a haystack, which is really akin to what submarine hunting is about. Right, you got to use some powerful technology for this. Brent Sadler, a senior research fellow for Naval Warfare and Advanced Technology at the Heritage Foundation. Thank you. Thank you. And staying on the topic of China, a wave of mystery pneumonia is breaking out in China, affecting mostly children and overwhelming Chinese hospitals. Doctors there tell us the disease can be traced back to some combined pathogens like COVID-19, the flu, and mycoplasma pneumonia. Parents say the symptoms are usually severe. Here's more. The respiratory department of one hospital reports seeing more than 3,500 patients a day. Chinese experts say the disease can be traced back to certain combined pathogens, including COVID-19, the flu, and mycoplasma pneumonia. Parents say symptoms are often severe. This time, the child had a high fever repeatedly, which never went down. This is too scary. My wife's sister's child is sick. She has a fever of 107 degrees and a cough. There are no beds available in the hospital. A former Chinese reporter posted a conversation about the issue in a group chat, indicating that at least one child has died of the illness. The infection is circulating in the area surrounding Beijing, as well as in Dalian, a city almost 500 miles from Beijing. A hospital staff member from Tianjin City told us that hospitals are so overwhelmed, some children wait days for treatment. 
Parents start scrambling several days in advance to get the numbers. We only have so many doctors, and we can only handle so many people every day. So we give out a certain amount of numbers every day. You can book in advance, but you have to be able to grab one first, because a huge number of children are getting sick. The wave first appeared one month ago and is getting worse. Parents told us some schools have suspended classes as both teachers and students are sick. They added that authorities are trying to block information related to it from circulating online. This kind of information is definitely not allowed to be spread. Weibo will delete accounts that spread it. It's not allowed. If you want to get to the root of the issue, they'll come warn you or even arrest you if it gets serious. We're all on tenderhooks. Chinese media say no one has died so far. Due to Chinese authorities' record of underreporting infections and covering up information, it's difficult to assess the true scale of the current outbreak. The World Health Organization has asked China for details on the outbreaks. Chinese regime authorities attributed the increase to the lifting of COVID-19 restrictions and several other known diseases. The WHO and China have faced scrutiny in the past on the transparency of their medical reporting. And over to Europe now. German police raided Hamas supporters today. Hundreds of police searched the properties of alleged Hamas members and followers. The police were enforcing a November 2nd ban on any activity in support of the terrorist group. German intelligence estimates that Hamas has around 450 members in the country. Their alleged actions range from expressions of sympathy and propaganda to financing and fundraising activities. The German interior minister said Germany is sending a clear signal that it will not tolerate any glorification or support of Hamas barbaric terror against Israel. In Berlin alone, more than 300 police officers searched 11 locations to seize evidence and assets. Coming up, the controversy surrounding Elon Musk has led major corporations to pull their ads from his social media platform, but the U.S. government can't afford to do the same. Welcome back. And as you can see, we're joined by our NTD business host, Don Ma. Yeah, he's going to discuss the U.S. military's deep reliance on Elon Musk and his company's technology. That's right. So let's, well, first of all, thank, happy Thanksgiving and yeah. thank you for joining us anyway. And um, so, yeah, let's talk about that. How reliant is the U.S. on Musk's technology? Sure. Yeah. So I'll let the numbers speak for themselves here. Uh, the Pentagon is investing up to $1.2 billion in Elon Musk's uh, SpaceX, and uh, this is to send uh, satellites uh, into space. And the Pentagon is also in investing seventy billion dollars, uh, seventy million dollars. That is in Starshield. And I have to mention here, it's it's not just the military that's uh, investing in Musk tech. Uh, NASA as well. It seems like uh, is also dependent on Musk's SpaceX. And according to a CNN report, and this is a significant claim here, NASA couldn't send another astronaut to the moon without Musk's uh, company. 
And uh, it seems like Musk's Starship is the most powerful rocket ever built, and NASA will spend about $4 billion on it because uh, it's going to be the lunar lander of the agency's uh, Artemis, Artemis program. And uh, here's some more numbers uh, for you uh, just to illustrate the point. The United States conducted uh, around 78 uh, successful launches um, into space. Uh, and then SpaceX was actually responsible for 61 of them. So pretty significant here. Yeah, that's a huge investment. And we know that SpaceX is very capable given that they have actually given Ukraine internet access during their war with Russia. But now in light of the anti-Semitic accusations, are there gonna be any changes in the government's partnership with Musk? Uh, so White House spokesman John Kirby uh, actually commented on that exact concern here. Uh, he says uh, that there's tremendous uh, innovation in the private sector. Uh, he's praising that, and, and he says it'd be very foolish, you know, for for them to simply walk away from this technological innovation. Uh, he says that uh, he he's not actually aware of any efforts to actually stop using this technology. Uh, but that doesn't mean uh, they condone an, any uh, anti-Semitism, uh, whatever Elon Musk is being accused of. Mm. Well, so it just seems like that the price it would have to pay is just simply not worth it, right? Well, um, I think you brought us another headline, so tell us more about that. Yeah, uh, over 400 Macy's workers in Washington state plan a three-day strike from Black Friday through Sunday. They allege uh, unfair labor practices and uh, better demand, and they're demanding better wages. The strike uh, could would be at three of Macy's busiest stores. Macy's has over 94,000 full-time and part-time employees, excluding seasonal workers. Its minimum wage is $15 an hour, and about 8% of them are represented by unions. Striking workers expect uh, to return to the job on Monday. Uh, just a quick update there. Yeah, wow. Well, we've seen what strikes have led to recently, obviously, a boost in wages and such, you know, with the UAW strike. Yeah, and might I just say, Black Friday through Sunday, that's strategically smart. Well, that seems like that gives them a lot of leverage. Well, but trying to see. maximize their impact. Yeah, but um, as a shopper, let's see what happens. And going back to that earlier update, what is Starshield? Uh, yeah, Starshield, uh, it's it's something that, uh, like you mentioned, uh, gives uh, it, it helps uh, Ukraine in, in terms of uh, their offensive against uh, uh, Russia. That's something related to uh, internet access. Wow. Yeah, well, there's always a partnership between private industry and business, well, and, and also the U.S. government in terms of its military operations. Yeah, I mean, the defense sector is benefiting hugely uh, with uh, this geopolitical conflict, whether it's Ukraine or it's uh, Hamas and Israel. Interesting. Yeah. Well, Don, I really appreciate your time this morning on Thanksgiving Day. Uh, go back and have some fun time with your family. Thank you for joining us. Yep, right after uh, the midday show. Oh, yes. yeah, that's right. Yeah, and All stay right. tuned. We're going to have that Macy's Thanksgiving Day parade live stream. Yeah, so, yeah. Looking forward to uh, Steph uh, doing that. And me. Oh, you as well? Yeah. Yeah, guys, catch Kevin and uh, Don on the Vintage <laughs> Show, but we're not done here yet. We're going to our next headline, which is trillions of phone records openly accessible to law enforcement, even without a warrant. Senator Ron Wyden is on a quest to expose the program and demand answers. And today's Arlene Richards has more. Senator Ron Wyden is on a mission to expose the Hemisphere program 
The program allows trillions of American phone records to be tracked by law enforcement. The records can include the phone numbers, dates, times, durations, and locations of the calls and texts, as well as the amount and type of data transferred. People can use it to see where you go, who you talk to, and how often you talk to them. The records don't include the content of calls and text messages. A deal between the White House and AT&T has made this possible for the past decade. Records show the White House has given the program over $6 million. In Senator Wyden's investigation, he found that law enforcement officials referred to the program as AT&T's super search engine and Google on steroids. He found it can identify someone's alternate numbers as well as phone records of everyone that person talked to. The outrage should come from the fact that most Americans don't realize that when they sign up and they agree to the terms of these um, cell phone providers that they're agreeing to this level of surveillance. Brian Horning is the CEO of Exact IT Solutions. He's concerned the data may fall into the wrong hands. Our government may not be in control of that data at one point in the future. It could That could happen through a cyber attack or that could happen through lots of other ways. Use your imagination, right? But that data does exist and it needs to be protected. The data can be pieced together to form a profile of a person, all without a warrant, which Senator Wyden believes may be an illegal invasion of privacy. Wyden wrote a letter to Attorney General Merrick Garland asking him to make information on the program public. He says what he's discovered so far would outrage many Americans and other members of Congress. Arlene Richards, NTD News. And on this special holiday, we hear what some New Yorkers are thinking. Be ready to hear of other things others giving thanks for a really wide range of blessings. That's after the break. Good morning and welcome back. So let's repeat it again. It's Thanksgiving today. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, it's time. I'm honestly just looking uh, forward to, you know, the city is getting really nicely decorated. Everybody's in a good mood. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I like, like the fall colors. You know, you see the purples and the the maroons and like all the browns and That's everything true, and even the pretty. greens start popping this time mm. of year and you know it's just time to gather with the family and have a lot of fun of course yeah that's the that's the biggest thing and of course uh let's not forget the reason for this season ah that's a good point yeah so i went out to the city to find out more about this check it out what are you thankful for this thanksgiving i asked that question to several new yorkers and here are some of the answers they gave me puppies family all of their things, peace, life itself, and everything. Let's hear more. I'm thankful for my mother, my child, my three-year-old daughter, she's amazing, uh, family, and my very, very close friend circle. Today I'm thankful for my family. Excellent, how do you celebrate? Uh, we just get together at, at grandma's house or mom's house and we just enjoy a good time. It's family time. It's family, it's friends, it's, it's the meal. We're thankful for our great city, for our great lives in New York City, and the freedom that we're enjoying in the, the United States. Do you feel that Thanksgiving as a holiday has changed over the years? I think that people went from more traditional to more modern. Uh, they spend it more on traveling or vacations, and sometimes they lose the uh, meaning of what is this holiday means. It means the beginning of our country, our ancestors here, and the, the pioneering 
that they did to get to where we are. I'm thankful for my family. My sister lives in New York City, and because of her, I get to come visit the city. That's great. What do you do to celebrate? To celebrate, we host Thanksgiving at my house, and all my cousins and aunts come over. What's a notable memory that you've had from Thanksgiving past? We used to always go on um, midnight to the mall for Black Friday shopping. Oh, okay. What do you look out for? Honestly, anything. Just the good deals. But now they don't even open the mall till midnight, so in the past. Has Thanksgiving changed for you as you've grown? Yes, only in that way. Honestly, we don't do anything at night anymore, but other than that, it's still the same. And what are you thankful for this Thanksgiving, ma'am? I'm thankful for my family and my puppy. <laughs> How do you celebrate? Uh, we just invite everybody over and have a big meal together and, you know, just love on each other as much as we can. Has Thanksgiving changed for you as you've grown? Uh, it has. It's become a lot more meaningful as I as I get to think about what being thankful really means uh, out in this crazy world of ours. What does Thanksgiving mean to you? Uh, it means taking a moment to really reflect on the things that you know we kind of take for granted and that we probably shouldn't that are more important and you know just love and family and just wonderful things that we never think about. Have you seen the holiday itself change over the years? Um, I have a little bit. Um, I think that I think that people are becoming more appreciative and hopefully getting together more. I love this tradition. Thinking about you know, thinking about what you're really thankful for, looking around and acknowledging all the things that you actually have that you otherwise you know maybe it's in the back of your head and you don't consciously think about. Yeah, it is a good time to count blessings. I'm thankful for my family, my job. Oh yeah, that too. Yeah, we should. We should be. Um, that's. I agree. Especially knowing that we're. Um, I could go into all this branding stuff, but uh, knowing that we're independent and we are able to bring all these news out of China, as well. So um, we are getting into a short break of one minute, and we'll be right back. So stay with us. There are real consequences to controlled media. And NTD's founders know them firsthand. Our freedom of thought is the price. This is the lesson that guides us in everything we do. So there's the tear gas there. We know the value of a free society. And we take seriously the responsibility to preserve it. We are NTD. Good morning and welcome to NTD. Good morning. Here are our top stories. Israel is working on the release of hostages taken by Hamas during the October 7th attack. We bring you through the process of how Israel plans to reunite hostages with their families. The negotiated release of hostages may be imminent. Hear the story of a father's sorrow that has now turned to hope. Tense moments at the U.S.-Canada border yesterday as a car goes flying through the air and explodes into flame, sparking fears of terror. 
Feeling stressed this holiday season? We have some solutions for your anxiety from a clinical psychologist to help you feel your best this Thanksgiving. The holiday shopping season is upon us. An online shopping expert gives us tips on finding the best prices and what scams to avoid. The annual Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade is back. We give you a behind-the-scenes look at some of the hard work and preparation it takes to get the show underway. This is NTD Good Morning. Live from our global headquarters, here are Evelyn Lee and Kevin Hogan. Good morning and welcome to NTD. Good morning. Today is Thursday, November 23rd, Thanksgiving Day, of course. And we have to, to this morning's top stories, starting off with the war in Gaza. The release of Hamas hostages and temporary ceasefire will not happen before Friday. That's according to Israel's National Security Advisor and the U.S. Negotiators are working out details of the deal that would see at least 50 hostages and 150 Palestinian prisoners released over a four-day pause. The temporary truce could be extended by one additional day for every 10 hostages freed after that. Israel published a list yesterday of 300 jailed Palestinians it would exchange. 13 women, the rest 18 and under males. That allowed 24 hours for any objections to be filed with Israel's Supreme Court. The names of the 50 hostages set to be released by Hamas are not yet known. Following a successful exchange, the focus will then turn to getting elderly men, Israeli soldiers and the remain of those killed out of Gaza. There's been no let up in the fighting yet and no word on when negotiations for the next group of hostages could begin. The White House says there are 10 Americans unaccounted for they believe are still being held. And earlier I spoke with Lieutenant Colonel Peter Lerner, a spokesperson for the IDF. I asked him about how Israel plans to facilitate the release of hostages and the challenges that come with it. The IDF is taking the necessary steps in order to be prepared uh, for a hostage release. Um, of course, I can't go into specifics of this because of operational security needs, but it needs to be, I would say, safe. They, they need to be evacuated to safety and then transferred to Israel, uh, to the hands of Israeli authorities and the medical staff that are on call. Um, <clears throat> the, the, the developments of the last 24 hours, and as you rightly pointed out, we expect it to not to happen to before tomorrow morning here in Israel. Um, so we are currently, the IDF is currently continuing its offensive against Hamas, against the terrorists wherever they're hiding. Yes, hopefully this all goes smoothly for the sake of the families who have members in Hamas captivity. Are there any contingencies that the IDF needs to be prepared for in the event something unplanned happens? Of course, we have a bad experience with Hamas and ceasefires. They genuinely or generally don't cease to fire. Uh, in the past, in 2014, when we had a war with Hamas, it was during the ceasefires that they coordinated attacks against our forces. So the eventuality of such a, a reality on the ground, if an operational pause does come into force uh, tomorrow, we will have to be very, very strong on our defensive capabilities, but also uh, with the ability to intercept any attacks that could attack, could uh, be originated against our forces. This is the reality that we're facing on the ground. Of course, uh, we have the primary or a primary mission of 
bringing the hostages home safely. And that is why we are willing to indeed hold our fire at the instruction of the government. The Hamas-run Gaza Ministry of Health says the IDF arrested the director of Al-Shifa Hospital. Can you confirm this? So I, we've received this report overnight here in Israel uh, or in the early hours of this morning. I, start, I still can't confirm it operationally, but after revealing the extent of the terror tunnel network beneath the hospital, just imagine that, a terrorist organization that borrows and uh, establishes all of its infrastructure beneath the sanctity of a hospital, um, and he has repeatedly denied that that existed. I think it makes sense that he should be questioned, at least ask some questions, answer some questions that need to be asked regarding the magnitude. How could he not know? He's the general manager of the hospital. This is a network that takes place in, around, and beneath his hospital. So there needs to be some questions that be answered. Um, as soon as we can clarify and confirm that his, his arrest, of course, we will do so. But I, I'm just talking now since requires that he answers some very tough questions. Yes, and we do know that it is a war crime to use civilian infrastructure like hospitals for military operations, and we have seen their weapons inside Al-Shifa. Lieutenant Colonel Peter Lerner, IDF spokesperson, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Happy Thanksgiving. After the October 7th Hamas attacks on Israel, a nine-year-old girl went missing. Her father assumed she was killed. However, the Israeli army didn't find her body and thought she may be a hostage. Now the father's sorrow has turned to hope she will be returned safely. Here's the story. The October 7th Hamas terrorist attack cost many people their lives. Tom Hand, the father of Emily Korenberg, thought his daughter was one of the casualties. Unofficial reports came in that she was found dead in, in the kibbutz. Like I say, it was unofficial. I was, uh, I was relieved. I was relieved uh, she was dead and it was, all, it was all over. It would have been pretty quick. You try to imagine the, the best, you know. But the information he received about her death was wrong. The Israeli army gave him the updated official news weeks after October 7th. It was unofficial. Yeah, I was told that she was found in the kibbutz and she was found dead. In actual fact, it was a mistake. She wasn't found dead. It was only on the 31st of that month that uh, we had a official news from the army that they had found nobody. In that instant, a father's pain turned to hope. Mr. Hand now looks forward to his daughter being released safe and sound, but also extends that hope to include the other hostages as well. But, you know, we have, now we hope, now we pray, because we know she's alive. You have to completely switch your head around 180 degrees and think, okay, we're gonna get her back. We're gonna get her back. We're gonna get, we're gonna get them all back. Hand intends to do everything possible to help his daughter once she is free again. No matter when we get her back, we will have uh, the biggest per birthday party the world has ever seen. Uh, she loved Beyonce. I'll make sure I get her to the next Beyonce concert. Bring her to Disney World and just I'll spend all my money, every penny I've got, to give her, give her, give her fun to make up for everything she's lost and everything she's she's going through. Yeah, I'm going to give her the world. 
And shifting gears, a speeding car crashed and explodes into flames yesterday at a U.S.-Canada border bridge, sparking fears of terrorism. NTD's Daniel Monahan has more on the fatal wreck that killed two. Authorities say there's no evidence that the deadly wreck on Wednesday at a Niagara Falls border crossing was an act of terror. The fiery crash prompted the closing of area border crossings. Details surrounding the wreck on Rainbow Bridge still remain murky, leaving it to be determined whether it was intentional or accidental. Here's New York Governor Kathy Hochul. There is no sign of terrorist activity with respect to this crash. Hochul explained the challenges investigators face. This vehicle basically incinerated. Nothing is left but the engine. The pieces are scattered over 13, 14 booths. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau reacted to news of the crash. There are a lot of questions and we are following up to try and get as many answers as rapidly as possible. Security footage shows the car traveling from the U.S. side at a high speed, hitting an object and then flying over an eight-foot fence before crashing to the ground in flames. Videos uploaded to social media show the aftermath of fire and thick smoke. This witness heard an explosion and became fearful as smoke billowed towards his car. I was terrified right away and um, I was hoping that we we're all going to be safe and then out of that place. And at the same time, I was curious to know what was going on. CNN reported the driver was a 56-year-old man traveling in a Bentley with his wife, heading to a KISS concert in Toronto. The crash came at a time of heightened security concerns, stemming from the conflict in the Middle East and at the peak of U.S. holiday travel on the eve of Thanksgiving, causing disruptions. The airport in Buffalo shut down international flights only later to return to normal operations. And Amtrak canceled train service between New York and Canada. Hochul said Rainbow Bridge will remain closed as authorities conduct their investigation and that other Niagara crossings will remain open, but on, quote, heightened alert status. About 6,000 vehicles cross the Rainbow Bridge each day. About 5% of that is truck traffic. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Coming up, stress and anxiety is an issue millions of Americans face every day, especially during the holidays. We have a clinical psychologist to get you some tips to have you feeling better this holiday season. And Black Friday is almost here. We hear from an expert on shopping trends for tips on saving money and what scams to avoid. How do they inflate all those balloons we see in the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade? We'll show you how when we return. Do you enjoy holiday lights? How about mazes? We take a look at a travel destination that combines both in a big way when we come back. Welcome back. It's Thanksgiving today, and some say the holidays can be a little bit stressful. That is right. And for those who still have mixed feelings because they are dreading the holiday stress, we have some self-care tips here for you. So here with us live is Dr. Monica Vermani, a clinical psychologist and author of A Deeper Wellness. 
Good morning, doctor, and happy Thanksgiving, first of all. And to start this, I would like to ask you first, what are the common stressors for people in the holiday season? So during this holiday season, many of us get triggered with remembering how the holidays were or looking at social media and trying to you know, match up to this ideal version of what the holiday should be. So many of us are hard on ourselves. We always have to remember life is a series of experiences and we judge our experiences as positive or negative. It's nice to neutralize ourselves to realize here and now all is well, just like you started today. You know, it's about gratitude and just remembering the good over the bad, whatever lifestyle you're living, whether you've gone through a breakup or have had grieving where you're missing some members that you really love. It's important for you to realize here and now, there's so much good amongst the challenges. And it's nice for us to just pause and reflect that the stresses of money, missing family members, maybe grieving or missing a family unit if you've gone through a breakup. These are common things many of us go through, but there's still a lot to be grateful for even on your own. Hmm, I think that's a very that's a great thing to do to just pause for a minute, take a minute and remind ourselves of those things. And so let's for example for today for this holiday stress, if there is people there are people that are really rushing to do that last minute preparation to get everything perfect, what are some self-care tips for people to not get overwhelmed in those situations? I like the word perfect you use. When it comes down to it, that's what we try to do. We try to match up to some perfect host, perfect ideal, try to make the holidays really perfect for our loved ones. The truth is, you know, we're all perfect in a work in progress. It's about us learning how to, you know, give ourselves permission to have compassion, to do the best we can with what we have. Pausing and reflecting, sticking to healthy routines, trying to ask for help, put boundaries with family members. Also have compassion that there's a lot of people out there who don't have family members or loved ones to spend this time of the year with. And so reaching out to people that maybe we know would appreciate a hello or a happy Thanksgiving. Make plans with people that you don't know if you are on your own and are lonely during this holiday season. Many people are, but the pressure we put on ourselves to spend more or do it perfectly, learn to ease on yourselves and realize that the key about this holiday is about coming together with gratitude, love, and appreciation for what's working in your life, for the loved ones around you, whether it's friends or family, and sometimes it's also just putting yourself in a new place to reinvent the holidays if you don't have people around, to go out to a meetup or meet new people or extend yourself an invite by asking some people, what are you doing for the holidays? Maybe we can get together. Some things are still open, so it's important for us to reach out and try to bond with people that might be in the same boat. Hmm, I think that's a, that's a very valuable point that you're making here and very thoughtful. Um, what about another scenario, let's say, um, because we all know that seeing family can be great and fun, but for some it can also be stressful at times. So what if people do encounter these stressful or, or conflict situations at the dinner table that we, we so fear? So how should uh, they deal with those? Every holiday brings a little bit of family drama. We always have to remember that sometimes the holidays are hard for many of us because they bring up triggers of abuse or times that were challenging with our family members. And families where you feel comfortable and authentic, give yourself permission to set some firm boundaries to maybe spend the holidays with people that you feel uplifted and loved and cared for. And other times, learn to realize that many of us are adults, that we can set some firm boundaries to tell our loved ones what is going to make us happy to spend this holiday in a place of peace and calmness versus conflict and turmoil. 
So setting boundaries and remember, give from your overflow, not from an empty well. It's important for us to take care of ourselves. If we find the holidays stressful or family get together stressful, bring in your therapist, bring in friends, learn to allow yourself to give yourself permission to eat well, sleep well, take care of you. The more you're in a better state of mind and body, the more you're better able to tolerate things that usually trigger you or upset you. And remember, just because you used to do the holidays a certain way doesn't mean you always have to do them that way. I love being an adult. You can reset at any moment and give yourself permission to do it different. Right. Do it with boundaries or celebrate alone even. Well, I think I think this was really helpful to, you know, for, for people to just kind of step out of that holiday rush for a moment and take a minute for themselves to reflect on these things. So thank you so much, Dr. Monica Vermani. I appreciate your time this morning and happy Thanksgiving. Thank again. you. And just remember to have gratitude and compassion. Yes. Thank you so much. All right. Uh, we are moving on with some consumer news because fewer shoppers will line up outside their favorite stores to snack the biggest Black Friday deals and more will stay on their couch with their laptop, tablet or smartphone. So you're telling me there's gonna be less lines because everyone's gonna be home? Could be good news for people that want to go to the brick and mortar stores. Good point. Yeah, but if go. every holiday season does bring more tricks to finding the best prices and more shopping scams to avoid. Here's more on how to save money this holiday shopping season. The big retail deals used to come just one day a year. Now some come before Black Friday. Really, the deals are everywhere. They're online, and you can do it all before you eat the Thanksgiving dinner this time. Bridget Carey tracks yeah, online shopping trends for CNET. She says sales will continue all season, but getting a head start may get you the best deals. What we're seeing right now is that this is where the hottest sales are up until Cyber Monday, but you will start seeing they'll still trickle in afterward because of how competitive retailers are right now. Before diving in, do the research, make a list and round up coupons, old gift cards and credit card points that could help save money and keep multiple browser tabs open while shopping to comparison shop between retailers. The bottom line is do a quick Google search. See if what one retailer has is really the lowest price. Meanwhile, the Better Business Bureau says consumers should use a credit card for online purchases in case suspicious charges need to be contested. If an online seller is unfamiliar, read reviews and look for a legitimate customer service contact. And phishing scams are especially popular during the holidays. Think twice before clicking on a link in an email or a text that appears to be about a delivery issue or an unexpected gift. And Macy's world-famous Thanksgiving Day Parade is getting ready to kick off right here in New York City at 8.30 a.m. Oh, I'm excited. And the event brings spectators from all over the world and participants from across the country. Macy's estimates this year's crowd will top 3 million people. The Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade in New York City is an American icon. It's known for its floats, clowns, marching bands, and performances from musical stars. Most of all, it's known for its larger-than-life flying balloons. It takes lots of preparation to get things ready for the popular holiday tradition. Well, today we are inflating all of the balloons for the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. You know, the, the process for putting on this great spectacle takes several days. We were rehearsing Monday and Tuesday night, yesterday in the rain, and then today we are inflating all of our giant balloons. 16 of them are, are uh, featured, and then we have 32 other mid-sized heritage balloons that will make part of uh, the balloon lineup for the parade tomorrow. There's also more than meets the eye to inflating these house-sized balloons. 
they're doing. You know, it's a mixture of art and science inflating the Macy's Parade balloons. I mean, they're all uh, created in chambers. So part of the magic of what you see on Thanksgiving Day is a balloon that's actually been put together from different uh, parts of a balloon. So uh, uh, an arm might be a chamber, the ear might be a different chamber. So we're inflating them one at a time, some with full helium, some with air, depending on what we want, what position we want them to fly in. So you put more helium at the very top and less helium at the very bottom. So that's the art and, the art and science of the balloons. The balloon inflation is a popular early spectator event. Kids love the balloons and each child has their own favorite. And I like the Ninja Turtle. I really did like the Pikachu going with the Eevee on the sleigh. Traditionally, the final big balloon in the parade is Santa Claus, reminding people that today marks the start of Christmas season. Wow, fascinating science behind that. And I know we just started Thanksgiving, but Christmas is also coming close. Yeah, it's a kickoff of the holiday season, and you know, I have my flights booked to see some family over Christmas. Awesome. Yeah, it's really exciting stuff. Absolutely. So take a look at what's being called the world's largest holiday lights mates maze. It's set to open tomorrow near Kansas City. Crews at Legends Field have been working for more than a month to set up all four million lights. Visitors can enjoy the maze, ice skating, and treats from vendors. Yeah, it just looks like something out of a fairy tale. It looks beautiful. I would really like to take a spin there, to be honest. Yeah, Winter Wonderland. Do you ice skate? I do. Well, I don't do it often enough. <laughs> I know how to. Oh, yeah. I feel like, yeah, for me, if I haven't done it in a year and then I go back on the ice, it takes me a couple minutes to figure it out. It's pretty cool. You can, like, go down and then, like, you know, streamline when you're getting some speed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's right. All right. Um, we have to end the show right here, but we'll keep you updated with the latest information. So stay tuned for our News Today broadcast at 11 a.m. Eastern Time today with Kevin. Yeah. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan. Happy Thanksgiving.